open up your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. You know, the passage that we're looking at this morning, Exodus 33, speaks about two things that I want to, to point out. Uh, number one, blessings. Blessings that God provides to us in this life over against, and this is the second thing, a relationship. A relationship with a giver of those blessings. And really, this passage will call us to ask ourselves, which is the greater priority for us? And you may not have thought about that before, but that's, that's really a question that needs to be in our minds and in our hearts because sometimes, uh, sometimes when, when we uh, go through God's Word, sometimes when we share His, His Word and share the Gospel with others, we can tend to emphasize one over the other, and often it, it can be the wrong one. So again, we're caused to ask ourselves, which is of greater priority, the blessings themselves or the relationship with the one who gives those blessings? You know, another way of putting it, and the way that we'll, we'll see it in this chapter, is would you be willing to even forego that relationship? in order to continue and have the blessings there? That's the kind of question this chapter is probing for us. Now, we're at this point in the book of Exodus in which, uh, for the Israelites, their whole world has been shaken. If you've been here the past couple of weeks, you'll know that we looked at, in chapter 32, the golden calf incident. Uh, And... Uh, It it was an incident that not only for for the bulk of the Israelites, but for Moses himself that really shook them them to their foundation in a way that they hadn't experienced up to this point. Uh, Up to this point, it's been God who has been their provider through and through. He brought them out of Egypt. Uh, He has provided for them when they uh, were in need in the desert uh, and desperate for water. He brought them water out of a rock. When they needed food, He brought them food, manna from heaven, uh, as well as all the meat that they could, could stomach. Uh, he uh, provided to them for them again and again and again. And, and in that way, He has drawn close to them. And then we, we got a little further along, and He provided His law to them. And as we've just seen, chapter 32, they then, in very short order, broke that law and broke it in a grievous way. And so now, they've experienced the consequences for it. And they are on new ground. Uh, For the first time, really, they're having to deal with that question of their own position relative to the Lord as those who are just obvious sinners. you got the law that was clearly presented. They've broken it in, in a very clear uh, way, and now they've suffered the consequences for it, several consequences. So there are questions that, are, that, they, that they were left with, questions that we are left with. Is God really going to be faithful to His promises? 
Does this mean that they, as a people, are now going to be on their own now that they have terribly sinned against the Lord? So that's not a small question for them. It's not a small question for us either, uh, this question. Our position relative to the Lord when we know that we are sinful. Uh, again, I'll be reading uh, Exodus 33. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so not, not short, uh, but... I invite you to uh, read it along with me and seek to understand it. It's broken, broken out pretty well into three different sections. If you're in the ESV, you'll see them broken out. The command to leave Sinai, uh, the tent of meeting, and then Moses' intercession. So again, Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Verse 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? 
And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for the way your word opens up this relationship with you that we are able to have, to possess. And Father, we thank You that we can have the the fullness of redemptive history before us and therefore know uh, what this was all pointing to and know and understand uh, the presence of the Spirit in in a far greater way than it could have been understood in the past. And so I I pray, Father, that you would take this passage and you would apply it to our own hearts and and help us to see in a greater way what it looks like, what it truly means to know our God and to walk together with you, to live this life in the fullness of your presence and at times longing for your presence. Uh, when you're not as close. I pray that you would help us, uh, give us understanding, open our eyes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like for you to picture for a moment what's happening in this passage. It really is an amazing scene. I, the, the, the people have just been through, as, as we said before, through this horrific incident with the the golden calf, they, they sinned uh, in, in great ways, and they experienced significant loss as a result of it. Uh, but significantly, we know this to be the case, we know this is what sin does. We've seen this over the past couple of weeks as we looked at this incident. We can see it in our own lives. Uh, we know that sin breaks fellowship with God. It's very straightforward. Sin breaks fellowship with with God. And so we saw what, what happened. Uh, Moses coming down the mountain, he had the two uh, tablets of the, the testimony, and he, he smashed them on the ground. They represented God's covenant. Uh, it was broken. Uh, many people amongst the congregation we saw last week, they, they died in the process. There were consequences for this sin. They had experienced all of this. But then we also saw that Moses stepped in on behalf of the people, and, and he, he played the part of mediator. And as we said last week, uh, although he played that part marvelously, marvelously, he could not be the true mediator. This was all pointing toward the only one who can truly atone for sin, 
uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, yet we, we, we see this people uh, in their sin with broken fellowship with the Lord and wondering what's going to happen next. Now, you may have seen just in the first couple of verses here that it, it really did seem, at least to the outside observer, I'll put it that way, that things are back on track. That the original plan uh, that the Lord had made, it, it's moving forward. They're going to continue forward and, and going to this land that has been promised for so long. Uh, so it, it seems good. It seems the relationship is back. Let me ask you, have you been in, and, and I think all of us have, in some kind of human relationship before where this, this type of a thing has, has happened. There's been brokenness in the relationship. You can think of, uh, maybe it's been us uh, as, as a child looking to, uh, to your dad where something has happened. There's something that in some way has terribly disappointed uh, the, your dad. And there are consequences that followed, and we know what that looks like. Often it's very painful consequences that follow, unpleasant. And this type of thing often leads to a real interruption in life. If it's within a family, it can lead to interruption in life for the whole family, but especially this child and, uh, and the dad, or if it's, if it's the mom. But what then? Well, we expect that time will go on and things will return back to the way they were, Right? Well, that's what seems to be happening here in this chapter, the first couple of verses. It it seems very promising. Uh, You know, Moses is instructed to take the people and to go up to the land. Uh, And, you know, I want to just take a moment to think about what this really means. Uh, We hear so much about the land uh, we need to think about its, its origin, where it's headed. Uh, and so just real briefly, uh, this was the promise that was originally made to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God made his covenant with Abraham, and he promised him this land, a promised land. Uh, and that promise went on. It was made a number of times to Abraham and then to uh, Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Jacob's 12 sons who became the tribes Uh, of Israel, of Jacob, yet all of those never experienced the fulfillment. It was just a promise. I shouldn't say just, uh, it it was a solid promise, but it was still a promise. They didn't experience fulfillment in a land that was theirs, in this land. Um, That was being reserved, and it was to be for this generation this was the generation that would, that would experience the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. We see that part of the, the promise here. Uh, words that meant richness and abundance and, and security uh, for the people. It was, it was pointed to as being a sort of paradise, a place in which they would feel absolute uh, security, God's unending provision. They would be lacking for nothing. That's the sense that we get with these words, flowing with milk and honey. And this was the people to experience this blessing. 
And so it seems that they've gotten past their sin, nothing's changed, and that the Lord is going to get them into this land. They're going to receive this wonderful blessing. And the Lord tells Moses that He will send an angel before them to do the difficult work and to drive out the enemies and, and the pagans from the land. If you, if you know uh, the, the books of the Bible, you know Joshua. We can look forward. We can uh, think about what that uh, was going to look like. But still, this is the Lord providing to them. It's almost like their relationship has been restored, but then He drops this bomb on them. He says, But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And then just to drive it home, a little further down in verse 5, he says, Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. For if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. And so think about what he's saying here. The land is yours. The blessing is yours. Go ahead and enjoy it. But please know, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to show my presence there with you. you know, it's, it's really akin to the child that I talked about earlier. The child who's experienced a broken relationship in, in the family, maybe with a dad. Uh, and he's gone through all of the, the consequences there. Now things seem to be restored. He's getting back perhaps the, the toys or perhaps it's the electronic devices that have been taken away and, and he's able to, to go out and spend time with his, his friends and uh, able to go on the vacation now that uh, looked like it was uh, threatened. And we'd expect the relationship to be there. But what if it's not? The openness, the sharing with one another, the deep bond, the fellowship father-son relationship. What if it's gone? There's no intimacy there. Uh, Whatever happened has affected the foundations of this relationship. Now, of course, it begs this question, doesn't it? What about the child? To the child, if that happens, does it matter? In other words, another way of putting it is what is most important to the child? Is it the blessings which the child does possess now, or is it the relationship? You know, that really is the question this passage presses upon us. And it's a, it's a question that's there for us. What is most important to us? What are we really looking for with God? Are we looking for the relationship, or are we looking for the blessings You know, I I think it's often the case, it's not always the case, but we see it so much today uh, with people going from church to church to church, uh, often looking for this or this or this or this to to bring a happiness. Uh, And what they're really looking for is, it's speaking of blessings, I need this or this or this to be in place, rather than asking the question, Am I growing in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He near to me? And when He's not near to me, am I distressed about that? Does it affect me deeply? Now, I just say, please don't see this in the wrong way. We're not saying that the blessings are somehow wrong or or, or bad. Uh, 
we're, we're just faced with this question of what place do the blessings have when it comes to this relationship with the Lord. You know, the blessings of God are never intended to be an end in and of themselves. Even eternal life. You know, we don't come to God in order to have eternal life. You may have, have thought that before, but that's, that's not the way that God provides. You know, we come, to, we come to God because of who He is and because of what He has done. We come to, to Christ, and really this is at the heart of it, because we are sinners and we're in need of a Savior. Now, when we receive that Savior, the blessings will be there. We will have eternal life. Uh, we will have fellowship with the brethren. And we will have, and you can fill in the blank there, whatever blessing is there. But notice, our real pursuit is not the blessing itself. Our real pursuit is, it, it must be, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the blessings will be there. What we need to learn from this passage is that blessings apart from from the presence of the Lord aren't truly blessings. The point is that it must be knowing God. That's got to be front and center, experiencing His presence. That's central. And as we go through the book of Exodus, that's at the heart of it. That's what it's all working toward. You see the tabernacle that was presented before to Moses. We'll see at the end. That is the outcome of this chapter. And what's the tabernacle all about? It's about experiencing the presence of the Lord. God being in the midst of His people. Now you may see this kind of thing. Think about uh, an, an older couple uh, who have been married for many, many years. And together they've experienced many, many good things. And, and, and they love these things. It could be hobbies. Uh, that they may work on their own. Uh, it could be vacations that they take together, projects that they, they uh, do around the house. And in the two of them, if you watch a couple like this, you can see that they're energized just in, in being together with one another. They're living and enjoying many things. But what is inevitably going to happen? One of them will depart through death. And what often do you see with the other? That where there was life before, where there was enjoyment before of this and this and this and this, uh, it's, it's absent. Uh, there's something there that's missing. These things hold no appeal. It's almost like life has been removed and, and sometimes it's not long before the other will pass away as well. What's... what's missing there with that one person. It's the relationship. The relationship they had with one another. Yes, they had many things to enjoy, but, but they were only enjoyed, truly enjoyed, when they were together. It was the relationship that was central. Everything else, they were just blessings uh, to be enjoyed together. The, the question is for us, are you okay with just the blessings? Are you seeking after primarily the blessings or are you seeking after the relationship? 
if we're just seeking after the blessing, what this passage tells us is that's not truly knowing God. Uh, you know what Moses says? He says, if you're not going with us, if your presence isn't there with us, there's no point in our going. The blessings are meaningless apart from that relationship from the one who gives those blessings. And so three things that, uh, that we see here uh, that we as sinners need which are leading up to this, up to this presence of the Lord. First of all, we need to be humbled by uh, God's holiness. Secondly, we see that we need to be prepared by God's mercy or prepared for God's mercy. And finally, that we need to experience God's presence. That's what it's all headed toward. Uh, so we need to be humbled by God's holiness. You know, the, the emphasis throughout a, a large part of this chapter, most of this chapter, uh, involves this, the distance between a holy God and sinful man. And it's important for us to have this understanding, and we've seen it in the chapters leading up to this, this understanding that as sinners, God cannot be together with us, period, uh, in our sin. And that's something that should, not just one time, but continually, it should humble us. And it should help us to have a right understanding of God and a right understanding of ourselves. And as we've already noted uh, the Lord said here directly to the people, uh, I am not going to go with you. Uh, and he said in verse 2, he said, I'm going to send an angel before you. Now notice there, if we look back what he said in the past, he said, I'm going to send my angel. And it appears to be the angel of the Lord, synonymous with God himself. But here, it's I'm going to send an angel with you. And that, that kind of uh, leads to Moses' statement later on when, when he's going to say, uh, you haven't even told me who's going to, to lead us up. Uh, the implication is that an angel is going, but I am not going with you. Uh, and then a little bit further uh, in the passage, uh, he, he talks about that he will consume them. Uh, this is a God who is perfect in holiness. He is a God of perfect justice. And, and what he's really saying with these words is that if the people were to be too close to, to them, to him, him holy, them sinful, that there would be destruction. It, it's not safe for them. You know, think about yourself. You wouldn't go walking into a large bonfire, would you? when you knew that the bonfire would destroy you. Uh, in, in the same way, this is God really out, out, of a, out of a sense of His grace saying, I can't go with you. You are sinful, I am holy. And it's just reminding the people of their position relative to God. And that's something that we need. We can easily think in our minds. We, we jump toward the cross and we say... Uh, the cross, it atones for my sin. I, 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 I am clear, I am free. And so we can begin to think in our minds, no longer sinful, together with God, I'm good. But what the Lord is reminding us here is that we always have to have that in our minds, that 
uh, we are a sinful people. And yes, we'll talk about the atonement uh, shortly, but we are a sinful people. God is holy, and that does have very serious implications. Let's also think about what this, uh, this passage says in terms of the plans that God gave to, to Moses for a tabernacle. You know, the whole purpose, as I mentioned, behind the tabernacle was a means by which God could come together with His people. He could dwell together with them. And that's what we see beginning in verse 7. There's this tent of meeting, which is the same thing, by the way, that the tabernacle is called on occasion. But this is not the tabernacle. Look at verse 7. And let me just mention the tabernacle was always to be placed in the midst of the people, the tribes surrounding it. Uh, But here, verse 7, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Do you get the idea here? Uh, it's, it's away from, it's outside from, it's far off. And the people couldn't miss it. They were sinful. God is holy. And they needed to know that. Why? Why do we need to know that? Because if you know the Lord, and if you see Him, therefore, as, as gracious, as merciful, as one who has loved you with an everlasting love that will never go away, even when you knew yourself as being unlovable. And then you see the effect of your sin today and that it keeps Him from you. What effect is it going to have? It's going to cause you to hate that sin and to want to to get it away from you that you might change that situation and come together with with Him. And, And that's what... That's what this message is providing us. It's providing us with an understanding of our relationship with the Lord, what sin really does. And that should drive us to humility, drive us to hating sin, drive us to to wanting to be together with the Lord. And so the very first thing here is that we as sinners need to be humbled by God's holiness. The second thing is we need to be prepared for God's mercy. You know, if we really do recognize the effect that our sin has upon this relationship with God, and if we see the distance that it creates, then it should result in a certain, a very particular response from us. And that's what I'd like for us to see uh, from this people. Look look at verse 4. And let's see how the people responded when they heard these words from the Lord that He was not going with them. And I'll I'll just say, you know, we might expect, knowing something about this people, we might expect them to say, oh, oh, okay, well, we're going to the land, though. That's what we're focused upon. But no, look at verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. You know, this word ornaments is speaking of, you know, we can think in terms of, of jewelry or, or some type of uh, probably adorning of the person, festive adorning, because it's believed that it's associated with their idolatry. Uh, further down in, in verse 6, though, it's going to say that they, 
they, they stripped it from themselves. The, the implication is they eagerly stripped it from themselves. And they took on this posture of mourning. And we get this picture of the people who were genuinely distressed. They were mourning over their own sin. Why? Because they weren't going to be in the presence of the Lord. This, their sin had caused the Lord God to separate Himself from them. You know, Matthew Henry says this. He, he says, of all the bitter fruits and consequences of sin, that which true penitents most lament and dread the most is God's departure from them. The very most uh, thing that, that is dreaded and that is lamented. You know, even though God here had still promised them a land flowing with milk and, and honey and all the blessings that came along with that, it meant very little to them apart from God's presence you know they weren't only looking for the delight of the blessing but they knew that it was meaningless without God's presence and so they mourned over their sin because it brought this distance between themselves and God you know this is something that we should look for in ourselves and that we should ask of ourselves when the Lord is distant from us first of all the question is do we recognize that if someone were to ask you now or at another point, where are you at in the spiritual relationship with the Lord? How would you answer that? And do you recognize those times when the Lord is distant from you or when He's, he's nearby and you're walking together with Him intimately? And the second thing is when you recognize, if you do, that that I'm not near to the Lord right now, does it cause you to mourn over a loss? If it really is a loss to you. Uh, now, in saying that, we, we, we've got to say that we, we've got to know, be able to know and experience nearness to the Lord in order to mourn over a loss of that nearness. And so I just ask the question, what does that look like? What does it look like in our lives to be near, to be close to the Lord? Well, there, there are a number of things we could look at, but one of them at, at the heart of it is it's got to involve a, a regular uh, opening up of God's Word. You know, I don't think it's, it's possible for us to have intimate fellowship with God apart from regularly, and I, I'm, I'm talking daily or at least nearly daily, opening up His Word. And as you read, hearing the Lord speak to you in a particular way, because it's the Holy Spirit awakening you to God's presence and, and providing you with an understanding of His Word. Notice, it's not apart from the Word, but helping you to understand and put it together and to hear from Him uh, and not in a distant way. Uh, because we may be reading something that was written 2,000 years ago, maybe 4,000 years ago, but as the Holy Spirit is helping us to see and to understand and to put it together, there's this application, immediate application to your own problems, to your own circumstances. You know, it's kind of like we see with Moses uh, in this tent that he set up. In verse 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. You know, now, the mechanics may have been a little different with Moses and, and us, 
But in the same way, today, we are able to commune with the Lord out of His Word so that we hear God's promises to us as our promises. Uh, We hear His warnings as being warnings that are are given and directed to us that say, watch out. We hear His his commands that are given directly to us and, and on and on. And it's not just one-way communication, but it's two-way because it drives us to prayer and to uh, really communing with the Lord in prayer, to truly confessing our sins before Him, to telling Him about our, our worries and our concerns and our, the, the things that grieve us, and to asking for help and guidance And not just for ourselves, but for others as well that we're concerned about. All of this is communing with God. And it is two-way communication. Uh, And it is something where we know deeply. It is the Lord God that we are able to talk to and to see and to understand in a far greater way than we did before. All of this, all of this... uh, comes out of this mourning for a, a mourning when we lose this closeness to God. And, and that's what prepares us for receiving God's mercy. It's us responding to the Lord as a result of our sin so that we grieve and we mourn over it with true sorrow. That's repentance. Uh, and it all heads toward a fellowship together with Him. And that's what we get a wonderful picture of as we go further in this chapter and we look at what happened with Moses beginning in verse 12 and we see him seeking to experience God's presence. And again, as we saw in chapter 32, uh, this is Moses, the intercessor. He refuses to go alone and we see this clearly here. Now he shows himself to be yoked to God's people that no matter what, that He is bringing them along with Him. And again, we'd have to affirm, Moses can't really do that. Moses can't atone for sin. What's He doing it on the basis of? It's looking forward to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to His atoning work. But the place I really want to take us to here, apart from Him addressing our need for an intercessor, Uh, is that we, like Moses, must refuse to settle for anything less than this nearness to the Lord, the presence of the Lord in our lives. And we see this really all the way through the rest of the passage. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, uh, Moses says, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find Favor in your sight. You know, what Moses is looking for here is, really, it's the very mind of of God. He says, uh, please show me your ways. Uh, He wants to be able to to think the thoughts of God. Uh, he, He wants to be able, ultimately, he says, in order that I may know God. He wants to know God so that when he looks at the world around him, Uh, He thinks with God's thoughts. He understands people's ways by knowing God's ways. Uh, In 
our call to worship this morning. I don't know if you really thought through the words that we were uh, sharing together. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You know, what a prayer. Uh, this, is, this is asking God that we, we hear from Him, that we have a nearness to Him uh, so that we are enabled to know His ways, to really think His thoughts. It's a prayer for intimate fellowship with the Lord. You know, again, we can think about a married couple who have come to know, know each other so well. Uh, you may know this. You may have seen this. Uh, where they begin over time to think each other's thoughts. And they can anticipate what the other one is going to say in a particular situation. They know each other's minds. They know each other's hearts. Why? Because it's out of a fellowship, out of a relationship, of being together. They know each other intimately. And think, how amazing is, is it that we can, we can have that kind of a relationship with humans. How much more amazing is it that with the Lord God we can have that kind of relationship? Now, there, there is a place in uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where Paul talks about uh, a, a person, and he talks about a natural person. A natural person is a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. This is an unbeliever. But then he makes a comparison to the person who has the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says about them. Uh, he's already said the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Uh, but about the spiritual person with the Spirit, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And he goes on to say, For who has understood the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. That's, that's, what, that's what Moses is looking for here. Uh, to, to know the Lord in such a way that he thinks the thoughts of God. And there's only one way that we can do that, and that is by God's Word, with the Spirit working inside of us, opening our eyes to be able to see His Word. That's what Moses is doing in this passage. He, he wants God's presence for himself and for God's people. And he's unwilling to take no as an answer. And you can see this in the interchange that Moses has back and forth uh, in which he relentlessly presses for this communion with God. Uh, look, at, look with me at, at verse 15. Uh, this is just after God has said that He would go up with Moses. And so Moses presses on and he says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And he goes on to say in the next verse, Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. He's saying the very presence of the Lord is paramount. And this is not something that Moses was willing to concede. It wasn't something that Moses was willing to receive partially in any way. And then we get to this. This is really the, the culmination uh, for Moses. Finally, God has said that He will do exactly what Moses has 
requested. He will go up with Moses and with the people. And how does, how does Moses respond? He doesn't just say, oh, thank the Lord. I'm there. We're there. No, here's how he responds. He says, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. It's, it's almost as if he can't get enough of God. He longs to know Him more fully. You know that word glory, it means weighty or heavy. Uh, there's a, a book that's in the library that's called, it's by C.S. Lewis, called The Weight of Glory. It's speaking about this. Uh, this, is, this is God in His very essence, and, and that's what He's looking for. Uh, and what follows this is the Lord telling Moses that, yes, I will show you my glory, but you are sinful. And so I can't, I cannot open up and you can't truly see me face to face. You can't see all of my glory. And so basically what, what the Lord is doing, he's putting limitations on what he's going to show to Moses. Uh, but he does say, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock and I'm going to pass by and cover you with my hand until I've passed over and then take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know, what a, what a picture. Moses has requested to see God in all of His fullness. Show me your glory. The Lord says, I can't show you all of the fullness, but I'm going to show you what you can see. And that's what the Lord tells us today. You are able to see by the Holy Spirit working inside of you, by His Word, by the resources, uh, the opportunities that He gives, you are able to see and to know the Lord and to walk with the Lord and to even have the mind, in a sense, the mind of Christ and to think His very thoughts. And one day, we see this in the last two chapters of Revelation, one day, we will see the Lord truly face to face. And we can look forward to that hope. And we will see all of His glory opened up before us one day. You know, in that song that we sang earlier, it was speaking about this incident with, uh, with Moses in the cleft of the rock. Uh, and, and here were the words of the, of the first verse. Uh, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from thy ribbon side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. You know, this song reminds us as it, as it walks from Moses all the way to Christ. It, it, it reminds us of how this request that Moses made, show me your glory, has been answered for us. And it's been answered for us in, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we can cry out, Show me your glory. And the reply is, Gaze upon my glory. We're coming to the table 
uh, just a few minutes. And you know, that's exactly the purpose of that table. It's, it's to help us to know the reality when we have trusted in Christ, the reality of Christ in us. And to know truly this relationship. And so this is a part of the gift that God has given to answer that question or to answer that request. Show me your glory. And so as we come to the table this morning, uh, let's come with hearts that desire the fullness of that relationship, desire to walk with the Lord, and to know that we belong to Him and that He belongs to us. Let's come to it with a heart to experience the presence of God. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank You for the, for the gifts that You give us, the good gifts that You have given us. And if we were to enumerate those, they would be uh, more than we could think or tally up. Yet among those are the gifts that are central and front and center among those is a relationship with You and the ability to know You, to truly know You and to walk through this life with that knowledge of You and to look forward to the great hope that we have ahead of us. Uh, Yet, Father, we know that, as we've seen in this chapter, that sin so often spoils that. And so we, we pray, Lord, that You would help us to have eyes to be able to see that which stands between us and You and to to cast it aside and to seek You with a greater heart and a greater uh, fullness of of mind and heart. Uh, We pray that You would help us to know Your presence, to know the nearness of God. Uh, We pray for Your help in Jesus' name. Amen.